Alrighty. Well, we can do our last prelude. Amen. And now we will have our call to worship this morning. Good morning. It's so good to be back here. It's so good. This call to worship this morning is Psalm 111. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He hath given meat unto them that fear him, and he will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has shewed his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever, and are done in truth and uprightness. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverent is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all that they do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. Amen. That's one of the songs of ascent, and it's one of my favorite, and I actually did a semester paper on it uh, when I was at seminary. Well, let's continue to worship the Lord. Singing number 370, Pass Me Not. Oh, three in one God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. He's all we need. We cannot save ourselves, but he is the most wonderful Savior. And he showed in human form what your love means. Your self-giving love for the benefit of other people. You are worthy of all of our praise and worship. And we now invite you by your Holy Spirit to be among us in a powerful way and as a result of our worshiping you this morning, focusing ourselves on you. May we be changed so that when we leave this place, we are proper ambassadors of the goodness and wonderfulness of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. And now, uh, take your bulletin inserts and let us do our prayer of confession together. Almighty and, and most merciful Father, Father we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. 
But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And I'm amazed as I'm reading this how much this fits the form of a promise that the Apostle John gave in his first general discipleship epistle. There was the gospel of the good news, but the discipleship epistle, and it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which means that hereafter we may live godly lives to the glory of God, as we heard last week in our scripture. And now let's sing uh, two more songs um, about Jesus and about life. 162, what a friend we have in Jesus, and 304, through it all. Amen. You may be seated for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Scripture today is Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Mm. Amen. Now, um, take your sing joyfully and turning in the back to uh, number 626. Let us recite together the Nicene Creed. So I'll wait till everyone gets turned there. 626. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, 
begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And that was written sometime in the mid-300s. Well, now, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Merciful Father, we are all in need of your mercy through your Son and the Holy Spirit this morning. And if anyone does not realize this now, he or she will realize it at the end of the explanation of this passage we have just heard read which tells us so much about the renewed heart that you gave the Apostle Paul. But we thank you because that although he had been a blasphemer and a murderer, out of his religious zeal for you and his ignorance, even he was changed when he encountered your resurrected and glorified son. And therefore, we all have hope in you and from you, the three-in-one God. So our first petition this morning, O oh Lord, is that you will keep your church in your steadfast faith and love, and that through your grace, each of us may proclaim your truth with boldness, and minister your justice with compassion, all for the sake of our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and rules with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. We pray this for ourselves and also for our brothers and sisters all around the world. And we pray that as Paul wrote, to the church in Rome, you will bring good out of this 
pandemic. And especially, especially in the United States of America, where the death rate has gotten so low that very few people ever thought of death and how they might have eternal, abundant, and meaningful life in you and in your son. So, we pray that the Holy Spirit will use this deadly virus to awaken spirits of people everywhere to hear the good news of the Savior and to say yes to him. And also, Lord God, we pray, please show each one of us in this room who, are, or who may be hearing us online what each one of us is called to do, both individually and as part of your church, the body of Christ. And we thank you. We thank you that issues such as racism and police procedures are now on the table. And first of all, we agree with your servant James, and we ask you that all of us be slow to speak and quick to listen. And may we all remember that inaction, failure to do what you've called us to do is a sin. And righteousness and love will not be brought about through government or laws. And those, uh, those two things, righteousness and love, they are the work of your Holy Spirit. So Spirit of God, please speak to each of us in the days ahead and give us ears to hear and hearts to be motivated towards right actions and right behaviors. That's how the world will change. That's how sin will be overcome, ultimately in your son when he returns. And please continue to protect us from all evil and that we will always keep trusting you in every situation. And Father, we pray that uh, Fritz Natalie will continue to be healed. And we pray um, that as our members in this body, especially the older ones, venture out, that they will be kept safe. We also pray especially right now for Betty Ann, Father. Please touch her. Um, please um, hold the confusion off and uh, speak to her by your spirit and increase her faith. And Father, we pray for Griffin Holly and all they're going through, and especially for Holly. We would ask for healing, but we know that your word teaches that final healing, all only, only final and total healing only happens when we see Christ. The healings we get in this life are temporary. The healing we get when we see you is forever and ever. And Lord, we don't know your will, but we pray for your good and perfect will to be done. And now, because it is really almost impossible 
to pray everything according to your will. We thank you for this prayer that Jesus gave his followers that combines both worship and petition perfectly. And we say it together now with one heart and one mind. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's true. And now, before we uh, dig more deeply into God's word, let's sing number 295, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Amen. Uh, you may be seated. So, each one of us needs to ask some honest self-examination questions. But as we do this, please keep your individual answers in your hearts, just between you and God. But be totally honest before the Holy Spirit in order to be rebuked or corrected because this is the purpose of all scripture. And the questions flow from today's Bible passage. So first one, what portion of each hour do I focus on God, Christ, and the proclamation of the gospel to other people? Or let's put it in another Fashion. Let's restate it. In the average of 12 hours of daylight from sunrise to sunset, how many hours of that day, of every day, do I give to Christ and his gospel, including telling others about him? Conversely, how many hours do I take for myself and my own selfish desires, pushing God into the background to focus on me and my passions? And I'm ashamed to say this is not an everyday occurrence, maybe once a month, but there are days when I will take eight to nine hours for myself, and I mean for myself, not even really being totally aware of God. Now, these are important questions for each child of God to ask because today's passage gives us an insight into the church-planting Apostle Paul's heart and how he focused his passions. So let's summarize the letter so far because we haven't gotten that deep in it. After he greeted the people who are being made holy in Christ that are living in Philippi, he thanked God in prayer because they had continually participated as partners with him in defending and confirming, in other words, proclaiming and passing on the gospel. 
And then last week we heard how he prayed that the self-giving love and righteousness that they were having would continue to grow in knowledge and purity that came through Christ until his day so God would be praised and glorified. And now, in keeping with the typical form of first century letters, he briefly describes what is happening in his life at that moment. Okay. As he is chained to many elite Roman soldiers every day in his rented room, he has made Christ evident or using a big English word, manifested to all of those soldiers and to everyone else to whom he came into contact. And because these actions of his were made known to members of the house churches in the city of Rome, they had become persuaded to become bold to speak the word. Now, some were doing this out of love for him and for God, but others were speaking out of selfish ambition and envy of Paul because uh, they were hoping to cause him tribulation in his chains and his confinement. But as we heard at the end of this, Paul is rejoicing, and he's sure he will continue to be given joy. So the big question, and I'm going to be honest, I'll give credit to Gordon Fee and his commentary, and he's an amazing teacher of God, spirit-filled. The source of his joy was just one thing. Regardless of their motive, many brothers in Rome are proclaiming Christ. And from this, we can conclude that regardless of his circumstances, Paul had only one all-consuming passion in his heart every moment of every day, that all would come to know Christ and proclaim him. Well, our passage this morning is in two parts. And what I love is that both are real. What do I mean by real? They show that sorrow is often mixed with joy. So in part one, Paul writes that his chains have brought progress to the gospel among the soldiers so that the brothers in Rome are now speaking the word without he begins by saying, brothers, I want you to know my situation has brought more progress to the gospel. Literally says, brothers, I desire you to know the reason for the things about me, namely this, the progress in the coming of the gospel, it has increased. Well, gospel, I mean, we hear this word all the time. What is the gospel? Well, let me quote to you portions of various letters the apostle himself wrote. First, 
for the churches in Galatia. O foolish Galatians, before your eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And through the Spirit, by faith, we wait for the hope of righteousness. Faith, working through love. And then to those in Corinth, he said, Christ died for our sins and was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. And then in his first letter to his beloved Timothy, he said, this saying is sure. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the foremost of sinners. And then in his second letter to the churches in Corinth, he said, for our sake, God made him to be sin who had no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That gives you a flavor of the good news of what Jesus did. And then he goes on to say, it has now become evident to all people that I am in chains because I am in Christ and the brothers in Rome have become confident or persuaded to speak the word without fear. Why is he in chains? Because he's in Christ. Okay, Don't believe that lying gospel that says if you give your life to Jesus, you'll be happy and have everything you want all the time. No. Sometimes being in Christ leads to trouble, tribulations, and difficulties. So he says specifically, my chains in Christ have become evident or manifest to literally the praetorium guards and to all. Who are the praetorium? They were elite Roman soldiers in special service to the emperor. And one of their duties was to take the place of prison buildings. There were no prison buildings in the city of Rome itself. There were some prisons out in the provinces, but not in the city. And now we get an idea of how Rome was decaying, although they were very efficient. To save money, these prisoners in the city of Rome were responsible to provide for their own food and shelter. No expensive buildings to build or maintain. The only cost to Rome was to pay 12 soldiers, each of these 12 working in teams of two in four-hour shifts, chained one to each arm of the prisoner. Now, if the prisoner could afford to rent a nice room, this would be easy duty for the soldiers. And if the prisoner had to live outside in the elements, what's four hours outside to a well-trained, fit soldier? And again, here's cynicism. If a poor prisoner died because of two months of exposure without food, well, think of all the money the state was saving. 
So this is what it meant to be in prison or a prisoner then. And this was Paul's first confinement in Rome. But we know he had a rented room where he was chained to teams of soldiers 24-7. Remember when we went through Acts? This is how the book ends. In his room, he was greeting people. Now, from what Luke wrote at the end of Acts, we know that as Paul was preaching the gospel every single day to many visitors who came to see him in his rented room, they heard what he was saying. And his words here in this letter confirm our conclusion. So even chained to soldiers, Paul used every waking hour to fulfill the great commission, which is to make disciples of people of all nations. And at the close of the letter, which we'll eventually get to, the very last chapter, Paul sends greetings from the saints. What's a saint? Someone being made holy by the gospel. Those who are in Caesar the emperor's household. And surely some of these saints were from this elite guard. And then he says, and many brothers in the Lord have been persuaded because of my chains. Now this word for persuasion of these brothers implies the convincing had an element of faith. And as I looked at multiple translations, some use faith here rather than persuasion. And he says, and these brothers are daring even more to speak the word without fear. So here we have good coming out of suffering. By this time, which was in the early 60s, 61 or 62 AD, Christians in Rome were in some danger for speaking the word of the gospel. Now, because Paul would not allow his suffering of confinement and chains to stop him from speaking of Christ, those who were still free to come and go were made bold by the testimony of his life of faith. And these circumstances right here in this passage may have been behind what Paul put in a letter to the Christians in Rome. Remember he said, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Even being chained to soldiers and depending on donations from supporters to afford this rented room. And then he goes on to say in the second part, these brothers are evangelizing Romans from different motives, but it doesn't matter. Paul rejoices because the truth of Christ is preached throughout. Now he says some are preaching from envy and selfish ambition seeking to distress him in his chains, but others preach Christ from goodwill out of love, knowing that Paul is being appointed by God to defend the gospel. So here we have one of those circular things where he starts with the bad motives, and then he puts two explanations of the good motives and continues 
and concludes with those with bad motives. So the first thing he says is, some indeed also are preaching Christ because of envy and strife. Now, who are these brothers? And the three commentaries I looked at all said, people have trouble really understanding this. These are not heretics. These are not unbelievers. These are brothers. But why are they acting this way? And perhaps, perhaps, and this is kind of my conclusion, these brothers are being influenced by those with sensuous minds who insisted that self-abasement was necessary in worship and they were troubling these brothers. And these brothers were becoming troublers because of the influence. Remember back in Colossians, which Colossae was across the Aegean Sea from Macedonia in Asia Minor. This was a heresy that was starting to creep into the church. And what they did was they went beyond the four limits on Christian liberty that had been determined by the first council of Christian leaders from all the nations in Jerusalem some 10 years before this. And you can look it up in Acts 15 if you've forgotten what we saw a few years ago when we were there. But he says, secondly, in this same verse, some also are preaching Christ because of goodwill. And this word literally means good thinking. So he's saying here first about these people, they have a correct understanding of the gospel of Christ. And he goes on to say, indeed, out of love they are preaching, having known that I am appointed to the defense of the gospel. So their motive is also from the heart, not just their minds and what they know and understand. But out of love for Paul and love for God, they are preaching because they recognize that call Paul, sorry, Paul is being called and uh, appointed by God to the proclaiming and defending of the truth of the gospel of Christ. That was earlier in this letter. So they're supporting him with their whole soul, with their minds and with their hearts. Now, he spends just a few moments on these people, but now he returns to the former who, out of selfish ambition, and as he parenthetically says, not with pure motives, are proclaiming the gospel throughout Rome, supposing they are raising up or awakening tribulations to me in my chains. In other words, they're preaching a less than totally true gospel. Some people think these were the Jews who wanted to force everybody to maintain kosher and all of those things. We're not entirely sure. But when we're talking about selfish ambition here, Paul would write to these very same brothers in Rome that those who reject the truth and follow evil because of their selfish ambition will get back from God anger and wrath. First, as discipline to bring them back to the truth. But secondly, if they stay separated from God, it could also be in judgment and condemnation. Now, it's interesting that Paul would use this very word or phrase that they're supposing or assuming 
that their actions from impure motives would cause Paul to suffer tribulation. Again, they are not disciples growing in Christ, as Paul was urging the Philippians, and maybe because he's seeing what's happening to the church in Rome right in front of him, they don't realize he has the peace of God. We'll get to this in chapter 4 of this letter. And this peace allows him to realize the Holy Spirit can use the truth of the gospel the truth, regardless of a speaker's motives, to bring people out of a crooked and perverse generation, that's chapter 3 of this letter, into the righteousness that is through the faith of Christ, chapter 3. So he's already in this one sentence anticipating the whole letter. And here's something we need to realize because Paul realized it and it's true. Different people will proclaim Christ in different ways. But he concludes that, except that in every manner Christ is being preached throughout, and in this I am rejoicing and will be given to rejoice all the way into the future. Literally, he says, what then? What then? Except that in every manner, whether in pretense, or in truth, Christ is being preached throughout. Now this word he uses isn't the usual word for preaching. It's a compound word that indicates the gospel is being preached throughout all of the region. So with all of these different people out there preaching, in Rome, these evangelists with their mixed motives are doing God's will in carrying out Christ's last command to make disciples of all people. And he says, and in this, this truth that I know that God has revealed to me and I'm sure of, I am rejoicing and will be made to rejoice. There's joy that comes from evangelism. And if we know forgiveness of sins in Christ. And if we have his life in us by the Holy Spirit, both of those things, we too will rejoice along with this church-planting apostle Paul whenever we hear of Christ's gospel being preached anywhere in the world and especially in unfavorable conditions. We will have a heart for the mission of Christ. We rejoice with God when Christ is being preached. And now let's say a word specifically about Paul's heart. He had a heart at this time after he met Christ that was fully consumed with Christ and Christ's mission. To him, nothing else mattered. And he never felt threatened by other Christians doing their God-given work. All he wanted was to complete the work that had been given to him by God. And in his very last words to his son in the faith, Timothy, he expressed his unusual heart beautifully. I give you 2 Timothy 4 as homework this week. 
spend at least a half an hour prayerfully reading it and meditating on it. It would take two sermons to expound everything that's in there. But this will help us to understand that we can rejoice with God when Christ is being preached. And finally, here's our challenge. What about us? We are not in chains. I can look around. Nobody here is chained to a soldier. So every hour of every day with our lives, may we both do our part to fulfill the Great Commission and be content to let others do their part even if their motives seem questionable. What matters is that Christ is being preached to all people everywhere and that we are doing our part because I had prayed and talked about earlier, inaction is sin. We must be doing our part. We must be finding it out. And then we will rejoice with God whenever Christ is being preached, especially when we do it. There's nothing more wonderful. I hope we all know this. There's nothing more wonderful than sharing the truth and the gospel of Christ with someone who needs him and is seeking. So the Apostle Paul wants his brothers in Philippi to know that his being in chains in Rome has led to progress the progress of having come to the Gospels. Okay? More and more people are coming to the Gospels. And Christ is being made evident or manifested to all through his behavior. And this has persuaded many brothers in Rome to boldly and without fear speak the word. But while some are preaching Christ out of envy and selfish ambition, in an effort to raise up tribulation to Paul in his chains, others are preaching the good news out of love. Love for God, love for Paul. And so because in every way the truth about Christ is being preached, he's rejoicing and knows he will continue to be given joy until he sees Christ face to face. His only passion is for Christ to be known and the gospel to be proclaimed. May that be our only consuming passion, whatever we're doing. May we rejoice with God when Christ is being preached and especially when we get to do it. Amen. And now let's sing for our final song. We're all on a mission, whether we know it or not, if we're in Christ. These are Christ's words, 531. So send I you by grace. Amen. I think this song really sums up Paul's heart, that he got it, that he knew exactly what God had done for him in Christ. And he wanted everybody to have what he had. So I'm going to close with the benediction of the Great Commission from Young's literal translation. And having come near, Jesus spake to them, saying, Given to me is all authority in heaven and on earth. Having gone then, 
disciple all the nations, baptizing them to the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all, whatever I did command you. And behold, I am with you all the days till the full end of the age. Amen. There's a command with a promise. Because God loves us. Let us love him in return. Amen.